BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. The state Senate passed a bill yesterday that will make it easier for farm workers to vote in union elections. But getting the governor's signature is far from a done deal. Backers say they won't rest until AB 2183 becomes law. They've begun holding around the clock vigils around the state despite having just finished a 24-day march from Delano to Sacramento, during which they got a little help from some friends. Victor Vargas is the solo rider liaison for the Sacramento Lowrider Commission. He works for the city of Sacramento by day, but his passion is taking care of his 1964 Apollo Super Sport convertible and supporting his community. So I always want to make sure that I always have my roots, you know, planted in in the soil and always give back to my community when I can. He's a third-generation Mexican-American born and raised in Sacramento. He says he never worked in the fields, but his mom and grandmother did. It hits home for me. It's real important. You know, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, I have a daughter. She's uh, 16 months old, you know, and I want to make sure that she sees the efforts that we're putting in for our people and that they don't get forgotten about when they're in the fields. So when he heard about the farm worker march, he didn't hesitate to get involved. He gathered his lowriders to cruise behind the marchers along the last leg of their 334-mile march. They provided food, water, and moral support to the marchers. And with the help of 100 lowriders from across the state, they brought them to the finish line at the state capitol. Thousands of supporters were there to welcome the marchers. As for Vargas, he says as long as there is injustice, his community will keep showing up. The lowrider community is here in support. The Chicano biker community is here in support. And, uh, you know, we just want to show our people, you know, that we support them 100 percent. You know, and anything we can and will do, we're going to do that for them. The California legislature has passed what supporters call a first-of-its-kind bill that could benefit half a million fast food workers. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. What's big about AB 257? It would bring fast food worker and employer representatives together on a council that could boost wages to up to $22 an hour next year at large chains and address wage theft and other problems workers have complained about for years. Mary Kay Henry is international president of the Service Employees International Union, or SEIU, which co-sponsored the bill. AB 257 is one of the most important pieces of labor law to pass in generations. 
Industry has lobbied hard against the bill, arguing it could hurt franchise owners and raise prices for consumers. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. The bill now goes to the governor's desk. And in other news, the Biden administration will pause its program to send Americans free at-home COVID-19 tests this week, blaming Congress for failing to fund another round of shipments. KPCC senior health reporter Jackie Fortier has the details. People who have yet to request all of their free rapid tests through the Department of Health and Human Services federal portal have until Friday to place their orders. Tests are delivered by the Postal Service, and there are a limited number per household. Private insurance plans are still required to cover up to eight tests per month during the public health emergency. The current declaration is due to expire in October, though the Biden administration is expected to renew the emergency for at least another few months beyond that date. The FDA now says people need up to three separate tests to rule out asymptomatic coronavirus infections. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. And in other news, the Biden administration is looking for new ways to shield DACA recipients in case the courts overturn the program that protects these undocumented immigrants who came to the U.S. as children. That's according to the head of the agency that oversees the nation's legal immigration system, as we hear from KQED's Taiki Hendricks. Since 2012, DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, has offered protection from deportation and work permits to more than 800,000 people, more than a quarter of them in California. Urja Du is the head of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, the agency that handles DACA. At a UCLA law event on Monday, she admitted that DACA is hanging by a thread because a federal appeals court in Texas could strike it down in coming months or even days. Ultimately, it will depend on what the court says. And there are authorities within the secretary's powers under the statute. Jadu says in addition to DACA, the Homeland Security Secretary has other powers to allow undocumented people to stay temporarily in the U.S. on a case-by-case basis. She said President Biden has ordered her agency to preserve and strengthen DACA. The president has directed us to pay attention and be ready. Um, I don't want to prognosticate about what the court might or might not do and how it might or might not do it, but I can assure you it's at the top of our minds all the time. Meanwhile, Jadou says she's proud of crafting a brand new regulation that will make it harder for a future president to end the DACA program. For The California Report, I'm Taiki Hendricks. Thousands of people became U.S. citizens during a massive naturalization ceremony at Dodger Stadium yesterday. It was the first time the stadium has hosted such an event, and it's the largest in L.A. since the start of the pandemic. Congratulations. You are all now citizens of the United States of America. Gloria Oliva, who's from Guatemala, is one of the 2,119 new Americans. Oh, I just started crying because I love this nation and I would do anything for this nation. And it's changed my life because now I can actually vote. Now I can get into politics, you know. Legendary Dodgers pitcher Fernando Valenzuela, who became a citizen in 2015, was also honored at yesterday's ceremony for his contributions within the Los Angeles community. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. More and more dead fish are piling up on beaches around the Bay Area, spanning from Vallejo to San Jose. Scientists fear the giant toxic algae boom could lead to permanent impacts. KQED health correspondent Leslie McClurg explains. Water in Lake Merritt and the Oakland estuary started to turn red in late July. Now huge swaths of the bay are chocolate brown. The toxic algae is likely a result of climate change and runoff from human wastewater plants. It leads to low oxygen content in the water, which kills fish including six-foot-long white sturgeons. Which is really tragic, given how iconic this species is to the Bay. Ian Wren is a scientist with the environmental group San Francisco Baykeeper. Sturgeon can live up to 70 years, and yet an alarming number have died in a matter of days. He says rare green sturgeons, which are a federally protected species, are also washing up on shore. There are also signs that smaller organisms like worms and clams are dying. So we could really be seeing impacts along the whole food chain here. For now, officials have not warned against eating fish from the bay, but they are recommending people avoid playing or swimming in the water for long periods of time. Generally, this algae bloom is not toxic to humans, but it could cause skin irritation, eye irritation for people. Eileen White is the executive officer for the San Francisco Bay Regional Water Board. She says scientists are sampling the water and monitoring the situation closely. For The California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. And finally, small theaters with less than 100 seats were hit particularly hard during the pandemic. In Los Angeles, the highest concentration of these venues was in North Hollywood, but half of its 22 theaters have now closed permanently. The local theater scene there might never be the same because these closures mean fewer opportunities for actors and writers to practice their craft and build community. KCRW's Megan Jamerson has the story. Even when things are great, Ronnie Marmo says there's not much money running a small theater. You break even, it's a big party, you know what I mean? So first of all, there's that. We're always starting uphill anyway, even when things are before the pandemic. 
Marmo says there's a hint to that reality in the name of Theater 68. That's how many cents he had in his bank account when he founded the company. During his nearly two decades in the neighborhood, the venue ran around 90 productions. When the pandemic shutdown hit, Marmo started teaching acting classes on Zoom to replace lost revenue. But eventually, it wasn't enough. So it started to feel like 19 years later, it was like full circle, you know. And so I just thought it was over. And that was it. And I, I kind of had made peace with that. But if you love it, the theater is really hard to give up. And since 1992, when the NoHo Arts District was formed, it's become an important training ground in L.A. for people like Christian Telesmar. Telesmar was the director at this summer playwrights festival at the Road Theater. It's a 66-seat venue about a half mile from Theater 68. He says pre-pandemic, NoHo was the kind of place where on a Friday night you could go for a walk and feel a certain excitement. It was a vibrant life force happening where people were very face-to-face, very excited. Theater was cool. The um, visual art was awesome. Like, there were, there were just so many things happening in that area. Telesmar was a grad student studying theater in Seattle before he moved to NoHo in 2014 to pursue TV acting. Eventually, he felt the pull to return to the stage. And there was a beautiful community to jump right in that was intimate theater. And I found it within a year or two of being out here. And that literally is the reason why I got acting on television is because they saw me in a play. A casting director saw him and he landed his first gig. He also got a TV agent this way. But now with the number of theaters shrinking, actors won't get as much exposure. There are also now fewer places for writers to showcase experimental work. And with finances tight, some theaters might be tempted to stick to more mainstream productions that attract large audiences, says Taylor Gilbert. She's the founder and co-artistic director at the Road Theater Company. It's easy to pick up the newspaper and go, oh, I'm going to go see Moulin Rouge because I know. I know the movie. I know the this. I know the that. So I'm going to go see that. But when you're producing new work... People take a leap of faith. You know, they, they show up not knowing most of the time anything about this play. Gilbert says her nonprofit theater is fortunate to have loyal donors and audiences, which means her mission to produce new thought-provoking works is unchanged. The night I visited, the company was doing a reading of Tilly Birdbones, a modern fairy tale by recent NYU grad Leah Plant Wiener about a young woman slowly turning into a bird. The seats were two-thirds full, which is a great sign of a comeback. But Gilbert says they could have done better. Older folks are still not buying tickets. Are we back? No, people are scared. People are still afraid to to be here. While things aren't back to their pre-pandemic levels, after I visited the Road Theater, Ronnie Marmo got some really good news. His old landlord offered Theater 68 a new lease, and they will reopen this fall. You know, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry or run for the hills or jump up and down. I didn't know what to do, you know? And while the neighborhood looks different than when Marmo first arrived, this is a good sign that you can't take the art out of the NoHo Arts District. For the California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson. 
And that's the California Report for Tuesday, August 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Marie Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at SchmidtOcean.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.